a magical ring that teleports a teacher to a distant planet filled with people who cannot pronounce each other's names clearly. We watched the 1987 fantasy action-adventure film Gore on Bottom of the Barrel. Hello everyone and welcome to another amazing episode of Bottom of the Barrel. I am your host, Jeff Bell, and this is another special weekend. Why is it a special weekend? Well, I'm glad you asked that, audience, in my voice. That was weird. It is actually my birthday. Well, actually, my birthday was two days ago, but I am still celebrating because you know what? I'm special and I can have an entire weekend dedicated to my birthday. So it was actually kind of a fun weekend. Not really, you know, special to anybody else but me, but you know what? I can afford to have one special day. So, but anyways, this weekend, while watching many movies and TV shows, trying to get caught up on a lot of stuff, we watched this movie. This movie is special. Definitely fitting with the rest of the franchises and the rest of the movies that we've we've reviewed so far on Bottom of the Barrel. This film is a 1987 film made over um, off an island in Africa by... Well, it's kind of made by a group of just random people. There's there's a an American director, there's an, a couple American actors in there, there's a couple people from Africa, a couple people from Italy. The entire thing is terribly dubbed over, as per usual, because frankly, I don't know if there even is a good movie from the 70s and the 80s that we're going to review on here that doesn't have some kind of dubbing in it for the you know, pretty much the entire thing. And to make it even better, it's another movie based upon a long-standing book franchises. The uh, the Gore book series was actually a book series that started off in 1966 uh, with the film Tarn's Man of Gore. Gore is spelled G-O-R, not G-O-R-E. You know, like gore is inspired there really actually is no gore at all in this film. Gore, G-O-R-E. Um, gore, G-O-R, uh, apparently is in it. I guess, but uh, the uh, these films are actually very, very tame. The book series themselves was written by uh, author John Norman, who actually is still alive and is still writing these books. Um, he started in 1966 with the first one, which is what, the, like I said, this one's based upon, and is, um, yeah, is still going. Um, he actually, I think he's just going to release another one. Yeah, sometime this fall, for that matter. So there's yet another one of these books. There is 32 books in this franchise. It, wow, yeah, it's it does not translate well into films whatsoever. So, but let's get on with the review for the movie, and you'll see, <laughs> you'll see what I mean. So. So the movie begins inside of a school classroom on a college campus filled with students who are, must be early 30s? but still posing as the students, and the teacher, our main character, rambling on in a bad high school drama acting fashion about the Ring of Gore. Tarl, wait, his name is Tarl? Oh, anyways, tells us how the alternate world is always at our fingertips, ready to be explored and ready to be reached at all time. Yeah, you know where this is going. He heads to his car to leave on holiday. This is supposed to be America, right? Where his girlfriend, student, person, breaks up with him for another more hip 30-year-old man. Frustrated, he heads off on his own when a storm appears out of nowhere, blocking his view of the road. He can't see and crashes his car into a tree with a giant explosion of sparks. When the smoke clears, he's gone. Ooh, magical. Not really at all. There was giant sparks. I, I, it, yeah. 
He wakes up in a deserted landscape that's obviously not a rock quarry in Africa, where he watches a village come under attack by the bad guys with giant metal helmets. It turns out they are there to steal the town's home stone, a giant pink stone that looks like frozen airplane waste. The leader of the baddies orders his men to kill all the remaining people in the village when one of the residents, a woman fighter named Talina, played by 90s late-night low-budget bombshell Rebecca Ferrati, manages to escape. She comes across Tarl, who distracts the baddies into going after him long enough for her to get away. He attempts to show them his driver's license. Because that's gonna help in some magical, mystical land. When suddenly a band of opposing fighters show up and attack the baddies. Tarl manages to accidentally kill the head baddie's son before being knocked out cold and taken to the opposing fighter's cave camp where he is stripped down naked and taken care of. Why he is naked, I have no clue. And they really don't explain it. Tarl awakens and pulls the cliche, Did Tom put you up to this? Denial moment that's ever so popular in movies like these, after being told that the only way he can get home is to retrieve the pink frozen crap homestone. However, to retrieve it, he has to journey across the always dangerous chunk of land to the baddies' home, which starts the world's fastest montage I have ever seen. Literally, Tarl goes from bumbling professor to expert fighter in less than two minutes. And it's not even like it's an over like months montage. I'm quite positive it took two minutes and three shots of a bow and arrow. Being dressed in a midriff revealing outfit that only a woman should be wearing from the 80s, they make their way across the obviously not African desert to the realm of Sarzam. I, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. While camping overnight, they're attacked by a barbarian troop that steals all their belongings, forcing them to stop at a bazaar of the barbarians and get their supplies back. They make their way to the adult version of the Star Wars cantina, just with less costume aliens and more bikini-clad dancing women. We're treated... No, that's... That's still not the right word. To a lengthy scene of our main characters sitting around having a drink watching the dancing women. The scene goes on way too long. But thankfully, we're saved by a wrestling match set up between Talina and a random slave girl by the stereotypical robust Jabba the Hutt type character. Talina... wins? I guess, the match, they get their supplies back, as well as a midget. Yep, they got a midget. Wrestling women in bikinis, leather outfits, midgets. Yeah, I'm starting to think the writer of this had some issues. Okay, one second, let me look them up. Oh yeah, the writer wrote a bunch of porn films from the 70s and the 80s. Huh, well that explains a lot. Well, anyways, just as they get outside of town, Jabba appears, wanting to get Talina, claiming she's his. She quickly stabs and... kills him? And they escape. Minutes later, while walking on the desert, the guy whose name I could not tell you because no one says it clear enough during the entire film, suddenly gets caught in a sinkhole. In what I guess was supposed to be some kind of an action moment, the others help pull him out at the last moment. Proceeding, they come across a group of military men whose leader looks to be wearing a child's 300 Spartan costume. Seriously, it doesn't fit at all. Tarl's wristwatch alarm goes off. Why he set his alarm to go off at such a random part of the day, I have no clue. But somehow over all the marching, moaning people and horses and carts, the leader hears the watch and goes to investigate. They subdue him and manage to sneak into one of the carts and hitch a ride. So after riding in the carts for 30 seconds, they decide it's time to get back out again and continue their journey on foot. Why they bothered sneaking into them in the first place is beyond me. The midget, <laughs> that's just funny to say, leads them to a back door that leads to the central square of the realm of Cesars, or Sauron, or Salami. I, seriously, I really don't know. Again, no one in this movie speaks real clear, so it's all kind of hard to understand. 
They walk over to a bidding slab where the women are all dressed like Princess Leia and immediately manage to pick a fight with a guard, causing them to get arrested. Record time, guys. Record time. Tartal is taken into the throne room of the main bad guy of the beginning, where he says he wants the homestone so he can return to Earth. After some overwriting by the main bad guy, Tartal is taken to a bad Las Vegas dance number, and is giving a woman of his own to satisfy him. Ooh, that bad guy is so evil! Then, main baddie brings in three women to have branded. That is exactly what it sounds like. Forcing Tarl to brand Talina in order to be accepted into their clan. I Seriously, I don't even know why they were trying to accept him into their clan. They, I completely missed that part. But Tarl sticks the branding iron on the main baddie, causing an uproar in the palace and a fight to break out, allowing Tarl and Talina to escape. They free all the jailed men and women slaves, while Tarl goes to the deeper cavern to free Marlinus who apparently was kidnapped in the beginning of the film. Seriously, these movies need to come with a guide to the characters, too, because I, 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 I don't even remember this guy in the beginning. Apparently he was there, but I don't remember it, but... Merlinus takes Tarl. Oh, man, that name is really getting on my nerves. To the location of all the homestones taken by the main baddie from the villages he has attacked over the years. The two start searching for their homestone. Not sure why it would be that hard to find. It's the giant pink one. They find it, and make their escape with all the free prisoners. They, however, walk straight into a trap where the guy whose name I don't know is stabbed and killed in battle. Aww, cry tear. Talina, the midget, Marlinus, and a few others are ultimately captured again, and taken back to main baddie Sarm, who starts pushing the captured into a giant pit of fire. But before he can push anyone who wasn't a secondary last-minute character, Tarl shoots an arrow through his neck, causing him to topple over into the fire pit, and explode. I have no idea why he exploded. They take the homestone back to the village and... Jack Palance shows up. Randomly. Out of nowhere. Just to say he's here to guard the stone. That's weird. Tarl goes back to Earth with Talina and confronts the new boyfriend of his ex-girlfriend, played by Arnold Vosloo from The Mummy, you know, The Mummy? You know, that decent movie. With a punch to the face and a dramatic walk-off. Back on Gore, we're treated to a quick voiceover by Jack Palance's suddenly revealed at the end character, creating a cliffhanger ending, introducing him as the villain for a sequel. And that's the end of Gore. There was, in fact, actually a sequel to this film, made about three years later, with a lot of the original cast coming back to reprise their roles, apparently. I, however, have not seen it. Kind of assume I should, just because, well, frankly, if it's anything as good as this one, it's going to be just entertaining. So, Gore was a very interesting film. Now, it suffers the same fate as uh, the movie She, where it's obviously part of a long-running book series that... You could tell that the book was obviously a lot longer and drew out a little bit more of these different scenes just because they just go from place to place and place to place. Like, I, the, the whole cart scene is hilarious because they spend so much time getting on the carts and literally 30 seconds into the movie later, they they get right back out of the carts again. Like, a completely pointless scene. And, you know, they knew they you knew they just kept that in there because of the whole, well, it was in the book, let's try to be faithful. It's just ridiculous. The acting in this movie is, again, way over the top or really bad. The main guy who plays Tarl, when he's the professor in the beginning and the end of the film, he delivers all his lines seriously like he's in a high school play. They're very, very flat. They're forced. He doesn't emphasize the right words, which just makes it that much more funny. And then the whole point of the movie is that he's got this ring that he got from his father, which is what 
teleports him, I guess, to the planet Gore. Because Gore is actually some other random planet somewhere else in the the galaxy, I guess. They've only mentioned that like once really quick. and But that ring only comes into play literally in the beginning. And then like three quarters of the way through the movie, it randomly glows. And then it he uses it at the end to get back to Earth. That's it. This powerful special ring, no explanation to it, no explanation where it came from. Oh, it's just so funny to watch this movie. But that is the movie Gore. It's exciting, not really. It's entertaining only because it's so bad. And I did realize uh, looking up doing a little research on <laughs> on the book series. The book stories actually are um they combine philosophy, erotica and science fiction, which you can kind of see in um in the movie uh, the whole erotica portion of it everybody like all the women are just dressed in like bikinis the entire time now the guy who like i said who did write uh, who did co-write this movie did write a bunch of porns in the late 70s early 80s so i'm not sure if there's some sort of like unrated like director's cut of this film but this movie's only pg so there's not really anything <laughs> in this movie that's bad i mean even during the fight scenes there's no blood. I don't remember ever seeing blood in this whole film. The most graphic moment is when the main baddie gets shot through the neck with an arrow. But it's so comically done. It looks like the whole Steve Martin arrow through the head like prop. Like that's what it looks like. And again, for whatever reason, he explodes when he falls into the fire pit. It's just so just over the top, crazy, ridiculous. But and then Jack Palance showing up at the end just made me laugh because I'm like, obviously, you're just trying to open it up for a sequel. So but this movie is available on Netflix right now, and I promise it is available on Netflix. I do realize that uh, Dark Star, when I said it was available on Amazon Video On Demand, after I got done doing the review, I looked it up online and nope, it's it's not there anymore, so if you have Netflix, just look for Gore, spell G-O-R, you'll find it. It's quite entertaining. But that is all for this week's episode of Bottom of the Barrel. I thank you guys for listening, and please keep subscribing to the iTunes uh, podcast. We have some more shows coming up, and we're going to be doing some new things, uh, breaking up the Ghost Hat Network a little bit, so just keep an eye out for that. And also, you can subscribe to our sister show, uh, Q-Pushers, done by Bill Corey and Chris Dunbar. Those guys are doing some great, great shows with games and board games and fun stuff like that. A lot longer than my uh, 15 minute bottom of the barrel reviews, but they have more time than I do. So, (laughs) but all that is being said, I am done for the day. Thank you guys for listening and keep listening and tell your friends because we like their listeners. They make us happy. They make, they make me keep doing this. So that's all I care for. So thank you guys. Have a great week and we'll see you next week on another episode of bottom of the barrel. Woo, happy birthday, happy birthday. Not singing the real happy birthday song because it's copyright. Yeah, it's copyright. I don't want to get sued because it's copyright. Goodbye. For more information about this and other programming, visit our official website at www.ghostat.net. <laughs> I like the ending.